clean up ball, get out of here in a hurry. Just a bit outside. Do anything travels that far out of have a damn stewardess on it, don't you think? It's time for Powell at the Park. The one constant through all the years, Ray, has been baseball. Cubs, Sox, all your Chicago baseball news. Dynamite drop-in money. Here's your host, Kevin Powell. Here we go, episode number 21. I'm Kevin Powell. Thank you for listening. A great episode planned here. Adam Hogue from WGN Radio. He's been on before. He's our Bears insider here at WGN. Busy time of the year for Adam. He does sideline work for Northwestern games. He, of course, covers the Bears. And there's still about three or four weeks left to White Sox baseball, and Adam is one of uh, two of our White Sox postgame hosts here at GN. So Adam and I talk some Sox, talk Eloy and Kopech. But we have a lengthy, lengthy conversation about the Bears because I am pumped football is back. I think everybody is. So I wanted to get that that football itch out and talk to Adam about it. We talked for about 20 minutes or so about all things Bears because it's storylines galore this year. Nagy, Mack, Roquan, Mitch. So the list goes on and we'll get in, we'll get into that. Uh, I also talked with Richard Justice from MLB.com. He's a longtime baseball reporter. We'll talk plenty of Cubs with Richard. Also just kind of bounce around because I haven't really had a chance to do this, but we'll, we'll do some uh, some Cy Young conversations, some some MVP conversation, and uh, Rookie of the Years. And talk a little Shohei Otani as well because some interesting news popping up there as well. But I do want to start with the rundown. All right, I want to start with Michael Kopech on the rundown. And I'll get a little bit more of a Kopech talk with Hogue later in the podcast. But four starts, his fourth one's a clunker. He has to sit through yet another rain delay. It's just, it's just unbelievable. Three starts at home and three rain delays. Uh, no excuses for it. Uh, he said the rain delay didn't bother him, but he clearly did not have great stuff in his fourth start. His velocity was nowhere near what we we thought it would be. Really, all four starts, he's kind of toned it back, but that's that's kind of what he talked about coming when he when he got the call up and he had such a great stretch down in AAA, his last six, seven starts, um, you know, where he was sitting 95, 6, 7, 8 instead of 98, 99, 100, and that was part of the plan. Dial it back a little bit. It obviously was working for Kopech. This was his first clunker in a long time. For most of the season down in AAA, he'd go two, three starts, and then he'd get hit hard give up a lot of runs, walk some guys, and uh, that, that really hasn't been the case over the past couple months here. It's been a really great stretch for Kopech, so was I surprised at all? No, of course not. I, was, I kept telling people, I'm like, a clunker is going to come, and it's uh, it's not necessarily a bad thing. This, there's going to be more clunkers next year as well. It's part of the process, part part of the development. Uh, it, it, at, at times, he looks inv- completely dominant, almost unhittable, but this, these things, these games are, are going to happen. Um, I was really interested to hear from him after the game when we asked him, well, what kind of, uh, what do you make of this start? And he talked about um, maybe not preparing as well as he should have. Here's what he had to say. Um, I don't feel tired or anything like that, if that's what you mean. Um, I just feel like going into the game, there's things I needed to do better that I didn't do. Uh, I don't feel like I prepared myself well for the outing, and, you know, it, it showed. So for a guy that's so specific and detailed about his work ethic, about his game planning, about the way he goes about his business, it was a little was a little surprising there. Maybe a little bit of a wake-up call for Kopech, and, and he had to face the Tigers twice in a matter of two weeks or so. That's sort of a wake-up call as well. This is This is the big leagues. Hey, that's how good the hitters are. They're going to adapt. And they caught up to his fastball. He was only hitting 93-94. We haven't really seen him top out at that Kopech flame-throwing uh, uh, Miles Brower that we thought we'd see. Um, I-, I thought in that first game he was going to have the adrenaline pumping and hit 98-99-100 a few times. But he's 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 had that command to stick around 95-96-97. Uh, he says he's not tired. He's at uh, 140 innings between the Sox and down in Charlotte. Last year, he's, he topped out at 134. That was a career high. So it's not like he's way over his career mark for innings pitched. He's kind of right around where he was last year. So we'll see uh, how this innings load adds up. Sox are obviously going to be very cautious about Kopech um, moving forward. But this is why I think... And I'm not trying to defend everything Rick Hahn has done, but I get... I agreed with them bringing up Kopech, and a big part of it was the innings load. That's a huge factor for a pitcher. Innings load, learning how to get big league hitters out, 
over, uh, you know, multiple times throughout the course of a game. The difference with Eloy, and I touch on this with, with Hogue a little bit later as well, but the reason I, I would have been fine if they brought him up. I would have. But I'm just fine with them not bringing him up as well. And I think the service time argument can play a role. I understand where people are coming from. It just doesn't feel like a White Sox thing to, to manipulate service time. Do I think that factored in? Sure, a little bit. But I think that Rick Hahn knows how good Eloy Jimenez is going to be. And he can say, sure, he wants, to get, wants him to get better defensively. <laughs> that may be true. I don't think that's the main reason. I, I think a large part of it, that, that uh, because everybody's been focused on the service time, I, this is what I think. This is, this, is, this is my little theory here, my thoughts on why he didn't bring up Eloy. What you have right now at the big league level may or may not be anything all that important when your championship window opens. Nicky Delmonico, Daniel Polka, Adam Engel. Who knows? We just don't know yet. I think we all realize Eloy is going to be the centerpiece of this whole thing on the offensive side of it. And, and Rick Hahn knows that. So I think he would almost rather get another three, four weeks of those guys, of all these guys on the big league level now who are fringe, who are you're, you're, you're on the fence about. Are they going to be big time big league players for a long time or are they going to be out of baseball in three or four years, two or three, four years? So I think Rick Hahn, this is almost a talent evaluation period for Rick for the next three or four weeks. This gives him an opportunity to see what sort of depth he's working with with outfield guys now. If Eloy comes up, you're you're taking reps away from other guys. You're giving Eloy reps too. But Eloy looks like he's going to be really, really good, whether they bring bring him up now or late April of 2019. So I think that factored in. I think that factored into this whole thing was that Rick Hahn probably says, you know what, I know Eloy's going to be so damn good, but I also don't know exactly for sure what I have in these guys on the big league level now. I might as well see them playing now over the final month and see what I have. Talent evaluation period for, for Rick Hahn. So that's my thoughts on uh, on Eloy and Kopech. I do want to touch on the Cubs as well. The Cubs September just got a whole lot more interesting. Milwaukee took two of three in a high intense series. Game two kind of fizzled. It started hot though. the uh, The biggest news I think this week is that Brandon Morrow might not be back for the full time closer role. I think that's significant. The bullpen's been very good, and Pedro Strope has stepped up big time for the Cubs. But Joe Madden saying, "Look, it's it's not uh, it's not completely inaccurate that he won't be able to come back. He's got this lingering biceps injury. They've got a series with Washington. I know Washington's out of it. Washington's not gonna not gonna lie down for the Cubs. That's for damn sure. And then you got Milwaukee at home, which will be the biggest series of the season for the Cubs. Just like the Cubs at Milwaukee was the biggest season of the series for the Cubs. The one at Wrigley in a few days is going to be intense." It's going to be awesome. It's going to be a taste of playoff baseball. You're going to see some high-intensity stuff at Wrigley Monday through Wednesday. So I'm looking forward to that. But I, I think I think that, uh, like, I've harped on it all year. I said that a big part of this whole thing is 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 get healthy in, by September and give yourself some breathing room on these guys. Give yourself some breathing room. And after Milwaukee, you've got Cincinnati. Arizona and the Sox on the road, and then you finish with Pittsburgh and St. Louis all at home. So not exactly the easiest stretch. We've got Arizona. Sox are actually playing some decent baseball. I mean, once you get to that bullpen, the game is is it's not even a coin flip. The chances of the bullpen blowing a game are 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 highly likely. But they're playing tough. I don't think that's necessarily a, a series you want for the Cubs if you're the Cubs that late in the game. You know, a hungry young team. Maybe they'll face Kopech. They face Rodon. That's tough. Rodon's been one of the best pitchers in baseball. So um, this, this is going to be a tough stretch for the Cubs. And 26 was an outlier. They had zero significant... Well, I shouldn't say that. Schwarber went down early. Okay. After that, the pitching staff had historical health. I think John Lackey was the only one who spent time on the DL, and that was just sort of a precautionary thing down the stretch, get him healthy for the for the uh, for the end of the year. So this is what pretty much every team goes through. Rizzo even has this lingering bruise foot now. 
Um, Chris Bryant seems to be okay. Addison Russell looks a little rusty right now. I'm not hitting the panic button by any means. I'm just saying that the Cubs probably wanted to separate themselves a little bit more than where they're at. And they're still okay. They still got a, uh, as we speak to you now on September 6th, Thursday, they have a four game lead on Milwaukee. Washington's going to play them tough, but they've guaranteed themselves that they will be, uh, they will have the first place edge by the time first pitch happens. Even if they got swept by Washington, they'll still be lone first place in the Central beginning that Milwaukee series, which is going to be huge. It's going to be fun. But Brandon Morrow, that injury's significant, in my opinion. So. Uh, Cubs still got uh, plenty of weapons to work with. I still think they're the team to beat in the National League, and they still have the best record in the NL, all things considered. So a uh, little Sox talk for you, a little Cubs talk for you. Got Adam Hogan, Richard Justice coming up. That was the rundown. Okay, first up on the rundown, Adam Hogan, my boy, Hoger. I call him Hoger sometimes, but that nickname hasn't stuck at all. Despite all that, uh, big fan of Adam Ho covers the Bears very well, and he does a great job with the White Sox postgame hosting duties as well. We have a lengthy conversation about the Bears, and then we'll also touch on Eloy and Kopech and the White Sox overall. Here's my convo with Adam. We're now joined by Adam Hogue, our Bears insider at WGN Radio. And, of course, you can hear him on our White Sox postgame show as well. He's a busy, busy man this time of year, and I appreciate him jumping on the podcast. Thanks, Adam. Yeah, Kev, you caught me between... Palace Hall and Guaranteed Right Field. Well, that's perfect. Yeah, that's basically it. where I live now. You know, on the car between the two of them. Well, that's perfect because uh, I figured we could talk Bears and some White Sox. So you're kind of right in the middle there with you, with some some fresh Bears material, and then we can move on to some sock stuff as well. Um, there is uh, storylines galore, not only this season but especially this week for the Bears: Khalil Mack, Roquan Smith, Howell Mitch Trubisky, Fair. Under the lights in prime time against Aaron Rodgers and Matt Nagy. This is his first game as a head coach, and it just happens to be against the Packers under the lights in prime time. Uh, what's the biggest storyline for you uh, I, this week? Is it Khalil Mack? Is it Mitch Trubisky? Yeah, I mean, I think Khalil Mack has suddenly trumped what was already a huge storyline. Uh, I mean, you laid it out there pretty good. It, this is already, I thought. Probably the biggest Bears game since the Week 17 de facto NFC North Championship game uh, in Mark Trestman's first year between the Bears and Packers, and that obviously went the Packers' way, and really the Bears haven't been competitive since. But there's a good feeling about this team right now, and you know, for me, at the same time, I don't have a great feeling about the Packers, so... I already thought before the Khalil Mack trade that this was a game the Bears could be competitive in. Uh, There's a ton of unknowns, obviously. I mean, I think the thing we do know is that the defense should be pretty good. Now you have an added unknown in Khalil Mack only because he hasn't practiced at all uh, until really today's his first practice. Uh, And then, you know... But he should figure. You figure he's gonna be pretty good right away. I mean, I would think so. He's never missed a game in his career. So most of the unknowns are on the other side of the ball with the offense. How much better is Mitch Trubisky? Can Matt Nagy coach? Uh, how is his offense gonna look? So there are there are so many storylines going into this game. I fully expect Mac to play a normal amount he would for a game of this magnitude. But what about Roquan Smith? How much playing time do you figure he'll get? Because he, he he's a rookie, and he hasn't exactly practiced a whole bunch over the past month here and with the holdout. And uh, I know this hamstring maybe sounds like it's a bit overplayed. Um, I don't think it's anything too serious. But what are, you, what are you anticipating from Roquan? Because all the excitement on the defense side of the ball was Roquan Smith, and man, this could be this all-pro linebacker for the Bears. And then all of a sudden, he's overshadowed by Khalil Mack. But what, what, what are you anticipating from Smith, and, and how many reps do you think realistically he's going to get? That was kind of our question today as we were just kicking around at House Hall. Who plays more, 52 or 58? Um, 52. Yeah, I think so, too. I, it's, I mean, first of all, let's just look at the depth chart. I mean, Nick Kwiatkowski can start and play an entire game and not have a huge drop-off 
and I can say that confidently right now because we don't know what Roquan Smith is. Like, I think he's going to be pretty good. I was mm-hmm. very high on the draft pick. I loved him going into the draft. But here's a guy who missed a month of training camp, came back, had really one full padded practice, and then got banged up. And Matt Nagy admitted today that he has not had a full practice since. Mm-hmm. Now, let's see when the injury report comes out later today what that looks like. Um, we're now in game week mode, which means we can only watch 10, 15 minutes of practice. Roquan Smith is out there, but is he out there the whole time after they kick us out? I don't know. We have to go off the injury report for that. Uh, and today will be the first time we see that injury report. Even if he does practice in full all week, um, I know they like Nick Kwiatkowski, and they're still going to be careful with Roquan. So I think he does play, but if I had to pick between the two, who's going to play more, I'm going to go with the guy who hasn't missed a game in four years, and that's Khalil Mack. Plus, Mack matters more to this defense. He does, not only just for this game, but systematically he does as well, that addressing position. This is why you got Khalil Mack. I mean, one, because the Raiders were dumb enough to trade him and you just happened to fall into your lap and all those sorts of things. But in the NFL these days, it's have a good quarterback and have a defense that's good enough to get to that good quarterback. These are the This is the specific reason you get a player like Khalil Mack is to get to Aaron Rodgers and win a game like this. I know it's week one, but again, I don't think we're overselling the magnitude of this game and how it can set the tone. Even if Smith plays half the game, I just think Mack matters a whole lot more because of his position and how important it is to get to the quarterback. Well, I agree with you, especially for this game. Um, And I think I agree with you overall. But let's also not minimize the impact that Roquan Smith is supposed to have for this defense because he does play an important role in calling the defense on the field, relaying the signals, making sure everyone is lined up properly. And honestly, that's been a problem for the Bears since Brian Urlacher retired. And that was a long time ago. I mean, Brian Urlacher's already in the Hall of Fame. That's how long he's been retired. Right. And so it's not just his speed and ability. It's, it's also him being the quarterback for the defense, which is something the Bears have not shied away from. They want him to be that. So, look, they're both extremely important going forward. Hopefully, within a couple weeks, they're both healthy. They're both playing a lot, and they're both playing at a high level. Obviously, we all feel better about Khalil Mack at this point because he's a proven guy who's already one of the three best defensive players in all of football, if not the best right now. And Roquan Smith has a lot to prove. You know, I think one of the reasons, and look, Adam, you know this better than anybody. Uh, you've been covering the Bears for close to a decade now. And even just growing up as a Bears fan, we all know what it's like leading up to a season. <clears throat> and it's the optimism, right? The Bears, you know, I think we could make a run at the playoffs here if we sneak this win in here, sneak this win in here. But I think that. I think there should be some real optimism right now for Bears fans. And the reason I say that is because if you look top to bottom, and of course depth may be a concern in in certain areas, maybe in the secondary, but for the most part, Ryan Pace over the past few years now has built a core, a core that you can believe in, and I think it's just a matter of going out and performing at this point. I mean, you look at all your starters from from defense are pretty much back. Plus, you 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 uh, you put Mac on there and Roquan, and then you add all those additions on the offensive side of the ball. I think at this point now, it's like Matt Nagy and the players. Go do your thing, because we've given you just about everything we can possibly give you, and there's a lot of pressure on Mitch Trubisky. But I think that optimism should be real, and I think Bears fans should be very excited. Well, yeah, because they've – I mean, like we talked about earlier, the offense is still an unknown, especially because they haven't played a lot. And that's an enormous part of this whole thing. But also – Every single move – no, I shouldn't say every single move. I mean, they did just address the defense with their first-round pick and with Khalil Mack. But most of these moves this offseason, with all this drastic change, has been geared to getting Mitch Trubisky to take a huge jump forward, whether that's adding Matt Nagy, an offensive-minded head coach who learned under Andy Reid, whether that's adding Allen Robinson, Trey Burton, Taylor Gabriel, Anthony Miller, the list goes on and on. This offense, just on paper, 
and paper's a scary thing in the NFL. I mean, it never plays out the way you think it will. But, oh, my God, if we compare this offensive death chart to what it looked like in week 17 of last year, or I mean, even week four of last year, it is so significantly better. Now they just got to go out there and prove it. We're, but we were already talking about a team that was – I mean, as bad as the offense was, they were mostly competitive last year. They rarely got blown out. The the game in Philadelphia was one exception. Of course, that team ended up winning the Super Bowl. For the most part, though, they battled in games. I mean, that is the one thing that John Fox had going for them. So just alone in adding this offensive talent, and now you've added Khalil Mack, and you still have a pretty young team overall. I, I, it is not crazy to think that this team should be playing meaningful games in December this year, which is not something that we've been able to say for over four years. I know this question was asked at Hellas Hall today, whether or not the Khalil Mack trade puts more pressure on Trubisky or takes pressure off. What do you think it does? And then I'll give you my thoughts, because I've been thinking about this over the past few, day, few days since they made that deal. Yeah, I think it takes. The, I think that it takes the pressure off. Um, you know, Matt Nagy chose to say neither, which I also understand. But I, I, I don't know. A good defense. The only thing that does is help the offense, right? So yeah. uh, I don't think it adds any more pressure, mainly because the way Mitch Trubisky is wired. I don't think he has any concept of – I mean, I think he understands the excitement that's been around this team this week since since Khalil Mack was traded. But I don't think he has any concept of you and me having this conversation right now and raising expectations and to saying, hey, this team should be in the playoffs. I, I, he's already the type of guy that has the highest, absolute highest expectations for himself and this team almost in a way, and this isn't a bad thing for football players to think about this, but he probably thought this was a playoff team even before they traded for Khalil Mack. Mm -hmm. Now, he's not going to come out and say that, but I guarantee you he's already going into this year thinking that the Bears could be that good, as he absolutely should. So I don't really think it adds any pressure at all. I just think at an actual football standpoint, as these games get played, as good as the defense can be, that takes pressure off the quarterback. Yeah, I think those are all great points. I think, and I guess you could apply this sort of thinking to everything, um, really just in sports. I think internally, like you said, I don't think it adds a whole lot more pressure to Mitch Trubisky. For Bears fans, Bears Nation, I've talked to a lot of Bears fans who are like, look, this is on Mitch now because look at all the pieces that have been put in place. They spend a bunch of money in free agency. They go get Mac. They get Roquan. The defense has a lot of core pieces kind of is on the quarterback now, but that's the NFL. So there is a lot of pressure on Trubisky. Internally, though, I don't think, as you said, I don't think it really changes a whole bunch. Okay. Well, yeah, and go, it go already ahead, was, though. Even before they traded for Khalil Mack, that was all, what you just said was all true. That's Even before they traded for that's Mack. That's fair. Right. That's a good point. That's a good point. So I don't think it changes much. Um, Okay, I want to get to baseball here because this is mostly a baseball-centric podcast, but I'm fired up about the football season, so I figured you're the (laughs) perfect guy to talk to. Um, I guess just give me a a Bears-Packers preview, maybe even more so the Green Bay side of things because there's some changes going over there, and we don't really see much in terms of the new general manager, new defensive coordinator, offense coordinator. Jordy Nelson's gone. Um, Give me a quick Adam Hogue Bears-Packers preview for Sunday and uh, what we can expect from the Rodgers-led Packers. Yeah, I mean, to me, most of the changes have actually been off the field. Um, and I think it's created a, a dynamic where Mike McCarthy will be made the fall guy if things don't go well. Um, and my personal feeling is that it's playoffs or bust for him. I look at the, the, the what's happened on the team with the personnel, and it reminds me of what the Bears did kind of under Phil Emery, where – you know, they felt like they needed to change up a general manager who had been there forever. And he came in and he's immediately trying. They're, they're, he's saying, and I'm talking about Brian Gutekunst now, their new GM, yeah, we got to keep building through the draft. But he has flipped the philosophy in Green Bay, which they almost never dove into free agency, never made big trades. And they went out and they added guys like Mo Wilkerson and Jimmy Graham. 
uh, and a handful of others. Now, that all looks good on paper, but I think those of us in Chicago know that that can often and usually is fool's gold. Now, there are exceptions, like when you can trade for a 27-year-old uh, edge rusher who is already top three player in the league in Khalil Mack. That's not what Jimmy Graham is right now. Jimmy Graham is declining. He's usually good early in the season, so it will not shock me if he has a good game Sunday night. But I just don't think that all these changes are going to hold up on the field throughout the year for the Packers. Aaron Rodgers was already um, – Mike Keller, who does a radio show up in Madison, Wisconsin, mm-hmm. calls him the golden parachute. And I, I think he's – and he means that as he covers up all these problems for the Packers. Mm-hmm. That will be no different this year. So if Rodgers stays healthy, they'll be competitive. I still don't know if they're going to make the playoffs, though. If he gets hurt, I think we could be talking about Green Bay drafting in the top five this season. So all of this is a, a long way of saying the Bears are pointed up. The Packers, in my opinion, are pointed down, uh, specifically in age and just in general. Uh, and, and when I look at their roster, I think they have more depth issues than the Bears do right now. So it'll be very interesting in week one. But I think it's a matchup the Bears can win. And as the season goes along, I think the gap that we've seen over the last really 20 years between the Packers and Bears is going to continue to close. Yeah, it's 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 certainly slimming for sure. And for the first time in a long time, um, it, it feels like they're going in opposite directions. But, uh, again, they have Aaron Rodgers. And if you have Aaron Rodgers, you got a shot at the playoffs every year, no matter what team you are. Okay, uh, we do want to touch on the White Sox with you, Adam, before I let you go. Appreciate all the Bears talk. But uh, as the White Sox postgame host, one of two, uh, your thoughts, I guess, on uh, the on uh, Rick Hahn's decision not to bring up Eloy Jimenez? Yeah, I, uh, I, I'm, I haven't thought about it too much, to be honest, because I this is kind of what I expected. Um, I, I don't have a problem with it at all, I, and I – I understand the fan angst, and I even understand the media angst, too. I mean, did he do enough in AAA to get called up? Absolutely. I mean, you just compare it to, you know, any any player that's been down there before. Eloy Jimenez was unbelievable this year. It was a great year at AA. It was a great year at AAA. He did what he needed to do to get called up. So, it's tough, but there's... There's other factors here, and you got to have the long-term view in mind. So, and I actually do think there's some some truth to the idea that he needs to get better defensively. Uh, I don't know that he's ever going to be a Gold Glove caliber outfielder, probably not. But you can improve. You need to at least improve to the level where you're not hurting your team. Now, I'm not going to lie. I I've been watching the White Sox all year. I haven't seen Charlotte Knights game in and game out. We get the stats. What we don't always see or get a good picture of is uh, the defensive metrics or, you know, really how he's playing out there every day. So I I, I don't really know how good or bad he was. So I'm going to trust the general manager um, when he's talking about improvement there. So I'm not surprised by this. I don't think in three years we'll really be all that worried about it. I think he'll come when he comes up next year. He's going to deliver, and much like the Chris Bryant situation with the Cubs a few years back, it only gets brought up now when it's comparing the situation to other players like Eloy. It never gets brought up in the context of oh, this hurt him or anything like that. Mm. So um, it's just it's, it is what it is. Yeah, I think when you look at the White Sox past, granted they haven't really had exactly a guy like Eloy. Kopech is a pitcher. It's a different ball game when it comes to when you bring him up and all those sorts of things. I think one of the reasons that factored into it, I'm not saying it's the the only reason, I think Rick Hahn knows what Eloy is already and how good he's going to be. And he knows that calling him up for the final few weeks of a season isn't necessarily going to make or break his entire career at all. And I also yeah. think that... Rick Hahn knows how good Eloy Jimenez is. What he doesn't know is exactly what he has in guys like Nicky Delmonico, Daniel Polka, Adam Engel, and other guys that 
they would rather probably right now see get playing time so they know what they have. Those guys are bigger question marks despite spending time in the majors already than Eloy Jimenez is. Eloy Jimenez seems like a, a more sure bet than some of the guys we've we've seen up. Apolka's had some excitement. Delmonico's had some decent games. Angle in the field. So I think, I think the service time thing maybe played a little bit into it, but I also think it's Let's not even take away reps from these guys. Let's just see what we have because we pretty much know what we have in Eloy Jimenez already. No, that, I mean that's a it's a great point. I mean you, I, I I've been thinking about that all year. Where if if you bring him up, who's coming out? Mm-hmm. Okay, and yes, you could say that Eloy should be out there uh, instead of. A, B, and C because he's better. Well, no, no kidding. He's the best prospect in baseball right now. Mm. But you have to fi- exactly. You have to figure out what these guys are. It's, it'd be and, more irresponsible of Rick Hahn not to give those guys reps so he can get a full blown scouting report for himself on what he's working with with these guys. And next year, it's not like it's not like you need the development to go on right now for Eloy because you need him like ready to go like a veteran in April next year. I mean, next year is still part of this rebuild. Mm-hmm. Hopefully they take a significant step forward. I think they will based on the starting pitching alone. But it's, it's not like they're going to be competing for a World Series title next year. At least, mm-hmm. I mean, if they are, it would be very surprising. So you have the time next year to develop Aloy Jimenez. This is these guys are already up right now, and like even just Ryan Cordell making his first start. Just see what you got, you know. See what you got with these guys. You know what you have in Eloy. You're going to have a perennial All Star. I don't think that's a stretch for many of us when you've seen what he's done already. So you might as well get a scouting report on some of these guys. Get some tape on these guys. Let them get some reps, and then bring up Eloy in end of April, early May, whatever it may be. And let's Sox fans go crazy then. But I, I, I was fine with it. And, and with Kopech, I think it's just a different ballgame because it's innings load. That's a major part of a development to a pitcher is, is that incremental increase in their innings load. And how are you going to do that without bringing him up? So um, I was fine with I was fine with both decisions to be to be honest. But uh, last question: uh, Speaking of Kopech, what what have you seen from him in, in three starts other than uh, 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 a rain drenched? Sox Park. Other than that, what have you seen from Kopech in the uh, in the few starts we've we've uh, had a chance to see him on the mound? Yeah, just a lot of rain. That's, uh, <laughs> it sucks. It's unbelievable. It's like, come on, man. And as I drive to the park right now, there's storms chasing me. I know uh, down good. there. So we'll uh, cross our fingers tonight. I, look, I, I I've seen a guy that certainly hasn't been perfect yet, but. I've been very impressed with his ability to get out of jams yeah. after getting guys on. And also, most of the hits that, uh, you know, I just even go back to his first start against the Twins. Like, okay, so Joel Maurer is one of the best hitters in the league over the last 15 years. Did a nice job of hitting and got on. I forget who the next guy was, but he, like, jammed himself and the ball just blooped in there. You know, these haven't been mm-hmm. – these haven't been – barreled baseballs against him. He's doing a good job of locating his pitches. The stuff is obviously there. So I've been I've been encouraged. He's Adam Hogue. Follow him on Twitter at Adam Hogue, H-O-G-E, and be sure to listen to his Bears podcast all season as we get set for another Bears season. Super excited. Bears Packers week one. Hogan, Adam Hogan, Adam Johns from the Sun-Times. Uh, listen at WGNRadio.com, iTunes, wherever you can get a podcast. It is a must-listen stuff from Adam and Adam, and uh, be sure to hear Adam Hogue on. Uh, man, you got a busy. You got Northwestern sideline reporting right now. You got White Sox baseball another month ago. So I know you're a busy, man. And uh, thanks again for for jumping on the podcast. Really appreciate it. All right, no problem, Kev. Thanks. All right, man. See you at the park soon. All right, thanks to Adam. Always appreciate him jumping on. Be sure to check out his podcast. You'll hear him on Northwestern work, uh, Bears coverage, and some White Sox stuff for the final stretch here as well. Okay, Richard Justice from MLB.com, longtime baseball reporter, good guy. Gotten to know him a little bit over the past uh, couple years. And uh, we talk a wide variety of stuff, talk Cubs here, a touch on the Sox, and just the overall MLB outlook 
As we close in on the final few weeks, here's my conversation with Richard Justice. We're now joined by Richard Justice, MLB.com correspondent. Follow him at Richard Justice. He's been following baseball for, for many, many years, and I've always uh, followed his work closely. He does a great job of following the entire baseball landscape and uh, uh, plenty of uh, Chicago stuff as well. Richard, thanks for jumping on the podcast. Thanks for having me. All right, let's start here locally in Chicago. Uh, the Cubs, for you, right now as it stands, they have a four-game lead in the NL Central. Milwaukee's right on their tail. They just played a tough series up in Milwaukee. What's your biggest concern for the Cubs over the final few weeks here? Uh, just, you know, they're the best team in the National League right now, and so just keep that momentum going. You know, when you get to October 1st, you want to have a good vibe and you want to be healthy. So, and the only real substantive question I would have now that Chris Bryant's back is who's going to pitch the ninth inning? And it may be a mix and match type thing. Um, and, and really, when you get into the postseason, it's not all, you don't, you have a lot of games where you don't need a designated closer, you're playing mix and match from the fifth or sixth inning on. Uh, I don't know if that'll be the case because you know, they've got some starting pitchers that are really performing at a high level now, but that would be pretty much it. You know, just, just, I would say just stay healthy and keep it going. Who do you think presents the toughest matchup for the Cubs in the postseason? Uh, I would say today the Dodgers. Uh, you know, I, I want to know – I, I think there are questions about them too, but I, given the workload, you know, Clayton Kershaw is a different pitcher now. He's pitching more off his off-speed stuff, but he's still really good. Alex Wood is performing at a high level. I, I, I think if Kenley Jansen is good to go, then that lines up the guys in front of them. You know, so what we're talking about a closer. When you're in that case, when you're asking those guys like Scott Alexander and Maeda and Ryan Madsen to, to take on a different role, it changes the whole outlook. But if you've got the ninth inning anchor down with the best closer in baseball or one of the best, um, you're in a pretty good spot. So uh, after all the comings and goings and all the lineup machinations and all that and the emergence of Max Muncy and Ross Stripling and all that, uh, I, the Dodgers are still formidable. That's not to say you know the, those NL East teams are going through a tough time right now. I think the Diamondbacks – and the Diamondbacks and Rockies are both going through a little tough, tough time, and it'd be something if it ended up being pretty much the two teams we expected to be there at the end. You know, still standing would be the Cubs and the Dodgers. I, I, I love the Cardinals. I think it's fascinating what they've done. They've got it, you know, with the with the energy and the kids and all that. Um, it's it's sort of wide open, but there's, to me, there's no question that. The Cubs are just a little bit better than everybody right now. It means nothing in October. It's a complete reset, but that's where we start. So how do you think the National League is going to shake out? Because it is a tight, tight race, and there's a lot of t- Rockies, Dodgers, Diamondbacks all in it. Cubs, we're pretty sure, either going to win the Central or take that top wild card spot. And then in the East, it's either Philly or Braves. So you've got a good amount of teams that are within reach of the postseason. The AL is pretty much set, but the National League, it's going to be fun for the next few weeks. Who do you think is going to come out on top on each division and, and, and win those wild cards as well? You know, I, I don't know. Uh, the Cardinals are fascinating. Mm-hmm. It's just fascinating what they've done. They've sort of gone down the checklist, changed the manager, changed the players, changed the atmosphere, and um, and, and we'll see. I, you know, that Harrison Bader – uh, he gives them a, an element of speed that they just haven't had, that many teams haven't had very often. He made a play sometime in the last week where he ran through second base to beat out a force that I have never seen before. He was essentially giving himself up to get a run home. It was, it was incredible to watch. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see. Right now, Arizona and the Phillies and the Braves are having trouble scoring runs. But you know, that can change. It can turn on a dime. You mentioned Bader, so I might as well jump into this because I wanted to ask you about who would have your vote for the Rookie of the Year. I know Bader's in the conversation. Acuna's probably the front runner in the NL, and Soto's also there. Um, in the AL, it's probably Andujar, Torres, and, and, and Otani. So among those six, who do you think will win uh, Rookie of the Year in each, each uh, league? Um, today, I would vote for Acuna Jr., American League is more wide open. Mm-hmm. I have been voting for Shohei Ohtani. Um, I still might vote for Shohei Ohtani, given everything that he's done. Uh, Glaber Torres has sort of played his way back to the pack a little bit. 
uh, Miguel Andujar is right right in that mix as well. And in Harrison Bader, you know, three different Cardinals have gotten votes in in the in our our MLB.com Rookie of the Year poll. Uh, Jack Flaherty got some votes at one point, and uh, Jordan Hicks got some votes at one point, which sort of tells you what the Cardinals have going for them right now. Well, speaking of Otani, there's obviously the big news this week about uh, the Angels recommending Tommy John. We knew this was a possibility all year. How do you see this playing itself out? Is there a shot he can play next year and just swing the bat and not throw Mm -hmm. and be a hitter? How do you see the the whole Otani thing uh, playing itself out? I mean, I'm all pretty confident we're not going to see him pitch till 2020, but are we still going to see him play at least in some capacity next year? From my understanding is that you can begin taking batting practice after three months, and we've seen a lot of guys uh, do, you know, Kyle Seager is recovering right now. Carl Crawford is one that comes to mind. Um, So I would think he would be able to play, uh, he would be able to hit at some point in the first half of the season. That's what I think. And, um, and, but you're right, as far as pitching, that, that wouldn't happen until 2020. But and I think he, I know the Angels are still committed to him, his being a two-way player. And you say, well, what's the downside? Well, the downside is you could swing a bat and get hurt. The other downside is he's, what, he's 24 years old, and when you throw 100 miles an hour, um, things tend to break. And it would break whether he was swinging a bat or not. We go through this with a lot of young guys, even though he's a very big kid. He's a big guy. Um you know, that's a lot of stress on the arm, and we've seen it time and again. I, I think the the, high, the greatest tribute to him, though, is that this thing that no one thought he could do, that no one thought there were enough, there was enough hours in the day to hone both crafts, he was doing it, you know. And now maybe doing both things it, it contributed to the elbow injury. You know, we may never, never know that, but he was doing it. He's one of the most interesting guys I, I have ever seen, you know. And every team is looking for a two-way player. But what they, they think of, what teams are looking for, is a, 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 Benz, a super Ben Zobris, a Ben Zobris who can pitch at times. And, um, you know, a 25th guy, a, a super utility player. And a scout told me in spring training, he goes, you know, we're all looking for the same thing. And uh, he said, but it may not be fair to compare Shohei Otani to any – to, to what we're, we're, we are thinking about. He may be just one of those athletic freaks mm-hmm. that is so talented that he doesn't have to put in the time uh, every day that you have to, you have to devote to, to, uh, to do this, to, to be both a successful hitter and a pitcher. He just may be a, a once-every-hundred-year talent. So do you think he's going to play the rest of this year out and then have surgery immediately following the season? Well, you know, I don't know. He's going to meet with the Angels on on, uh, Friday, and they're going to talk to him. My guess is, hey, players want to play. Right. You know, and you can say, well, long term, you probably should go ahead and have the surgery. You know, big deal. Players want to play. And he is the one thing I know. I do not know him. I've been around him, but I don't know him. But I know lots of guys in that clubhouse. And they say that he is a he is a dedicated pro who loves the game, and so this is what I think. I don't think he's going to undergo the surgery until until his until the season is over. And you know, will that delay him getting back on the field next year? It it may, but um, you know, we'll see. I, I can't get inside his head on what right. he wants to do. So it's a very tough choice, and he's going to speak to the media, I think, tomorrow. Well, selfishly, I uh, I've had this weekend, upcoming weekend, circled on my calendar for quite some time because <laughs> covering the White Sox and Cubs locally, uh, I couldn't wait to see Otani up close. Angels are in town this weekend, so uh, was I'm, I'm still hoping he can play because I'd love to see this guy up close. Um, speaking of the White Sox, your thoughts on them calling up Michael Kopech and not calling up Eloy Jimenez? Well, as a fan, um, I, I, I want them all up. I mean, I want to see, uh, you know, I want them all to get healthy. I want Eloy up and Luis Robert and all those guys because I think the future is bright. But I do understand there is a business aspect to him. And if you have to give up a month of service time to get an extra year, you do it. You know, I live in Houston, and fans went crazy 
that we didn't get to see Carlos Correa's debut was uh, delayed for two months. They waited for the the super uh, the the super uh, the super two uh, designation to get to get that extra year of without arbitration. And uh, you know it was worth it. They went to the postseason, won the World Series last year. So it'll happen. And I'd say the bigger picture, the thirty-seven thousand foot view, is that the Sox have a bright future. And um, it's it's you know it's it's I know it's frustrating and it's frustrating to see Giolito and and Carson Fulmer and those guys go through growing pains. But you're going to have that. I would look at them and see what I saw in the Astros, the Cardinals. I'm, I'm sorry, the Royals in past years. There's so much talent there that it's gonna it's going to manifest itself and wins and losses at some point. And we all want it to happen yesterday, and I know right. Jerry Reinsdorf and Rick Hahn want it to happen yesterday, too. Are you okay with teams bottoming out, the Astros, the, the, the teams you just well, mentioned? Well, look, um, here's the, the other side of that. I, I was talking to a guy about this yesterday. We were at the game, and the Astros are now projecting that they're going to finish about, they need another 50000 to draw $3 million. And when you consider that, in the 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 height the lowest point of losing hundred games three years in a row, they had trouble drawing a million, yeah. and there weren't a million people in the stands, and their TV ratings went to zero. Now there were some distribution problems, but even in the homes that had the TV coverage, the ratings were zero, and that's that's the downside. And I saw it firsthand in Baltimore. People find they can live without it. So okay, you want to go down this road. You go down this road. People make so much of baseball's attendance problems this year. But if you break it down, the attendance problems are in the cities that are not winning. The game is plenty healthy at Wrigley Field and in and with at Dodger Stadium and at Minute Maid Park and all those places. You have to win. You have to put a competitive uh, product on the field because people, the, you know, in terms of the ticket prices and going to the game and all that, it's a commitment, and you better have a product out there that's worth seeing. But I also understand um, that if you bottom out, you're doing it with the idea of eventually getting something that's sustainable. And, and I'll say this. like I, I remember talking to Jim Leland right after Jeff Luno got to Houston, and I said, Jim, here's what they're going to do. They're going to they're gonna sell off. They're going to be terrible for three years, and then they're going to have all these great young players, and they're going to have something that they can sustain going forward. And he said to me, he just kind of rolled his eyes. I've heard that a hundred times. Competitive people can't do that. They're going to go out and get some old guys to improve the one loss record. And I have to Astros owner Jim Crane stayed the course, and it was painful. He's in. He made his money in logistics, and he once said to me, he said, "I've moved. I can move." products and people and things all over the world he goes but i haven't been able to move butts into the seats in this ballpark and the reason was your team was terrible and now you know (laughs) and now they're going to draw but they're they probably they're going to come very close to drawing three million people the tv ratings the radio ratings are through the roof Mm -hmm. they're a hot commodity uh, but it was a path to get here, and even when they started to win in 15, they won the World Series in 17, it wasn't always easy to fill up the ballpark. You can do it, but you got to work your butt off. And, it, you know, in fact, you look in Baltimore, um, and even in 12, when they got good again, it was hard to get people back in the stands. I remember Adam Jones was told, he and, a, he and the trainer, Richie Bansells, used to have this thing. Is this what it used to be like, Richie? Is this what it used to be like? And they come back and beat the Yankees on a Saturday night, and Richie said, yeah, this is what it used to be like. But it was a long road to get back there. Oh, it's well well put, Richard. Um, completely agree with you. Winning sells everything. Um, you had a really fun uh, uh, best f- five rivalries in baseball. Uh, Yankees, Red Sox, Mets, Braves, I think you had it too, and then Cubs, Brewers, three. Uh, or Cubs Cardinals three, Cubs Brewers five. Uh, do you have a favorite story from let's let's go Cubs Cardinals? You have, a, you have a, your favorite Cubs Cardinals uh, story, <laughs> some heated rivalry moments. Well, my favorite Cubs Cardinals stories were the Tony Larusa Dusty Baker years, yeah, where it, it was so intense that you just wanted to say, okay, you two guys go out here on Addison. <laughs> <laughs> and settle it and let the players play. And I have a yeah. story. You you probably remember the game. Carlos Zambrano had a meltdown in the first inning. And I think he hit a couple of guys. 
He was just all over the place. So now you know what's going to happen. LaRusso's whole thing is mutually assured destruction. It's going to be bad. LaRusso tells his guy, I don't want you to retaliate. And Sammy Sosa comes up to hit. And he's obviously nervous. He's expecting it. He's jumping around like a chicken. And he doesn't get hit. And he, I think he flies out to right field or something. He's circling back by the pitcher. And, he's, and the pitcher goes, hey, he wouldn't let me. He told me not to. And uh, and Sammy goes, <laughs> Sammy's running back to the other guy, and he goes, you tell him thank you, thank you, thank you for Sammy, <laughs> and uh, which is fine, except then the next day, you know, all hell broke loose again. Yeah. That's what I remember is just how tense those games were, and it was real. You know, rivalries, begin, it obviously begins with the fans, but those two managers disliked one another intensely, and you just, you know, it was almost uncomfortable being at the games that the tension because the tension level was so high. I remember those guys just staring each other down from the dugouts almost every oh single game. Lord, Some of those hot like, summer days at Wrigley, or things got heated. Right. And those it was two like, just, boys, boys, right? let's, let's 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 have a glass of Chardonnay and think about it. <laughs> right, right. I hear you. Um, well, since because I'm sure you've got a great one. Best Yankees Red Sox uh, story. Oh, the obvious ones. I mean, yeah. it was Aaron Boone and and Pedro Martinez, Don Zimmer charging Pedro Martinez and being thrown to the thrown to the ground. Yeah. I, I mean, it was just there was so many things happened in that Aaron Boone game. You know, was in Boston. That's not the Aaron Boone game as much as it's the Grady Little game. And Bucky, you know, I'm a, I'm old enough to remember Bucky Dent. It's just it's that every time they play, it feels. Different. It's there is a tension that you don't get any place else. And of course, uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention my friend Dave Roberts, who had the most famous stolen base in the history mm-hmm. of baseball to start them on the comeback. I don't know if you probably heard the story. You oh, know, yeah. the, 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 the Red Sox are down three to nothing, and before the game, Kevin Millar is caught on tape telling Dan Shaughnessy of the Boston Globe. Don't let us win this game. He goes, I'm just telling you, don't let us win this game. You let us win. You know, well, you win the game, you're down. You're still down three to one. You're one game away from being eliminated. But that's what went into it. You know, that's why you wanted guys like Kevin Millar on the team. Dave Roberts stole second. Okay. It's, it's the whole series changed. The world changed in Boston, basically. All right, last question. I've, I've kept it you know, far too long, Richard. This has been a great conversation. I appreciate you jumping on. Uh, your your storyline you're most looking forward to, what are you keeping an eye on most down the stretch here over the pe- final few weeks? Of the teams that we didn't expect to be in contention, uh, are the Phillies and the Braves, how are they going to hold up? The Diamondbacks and Rockies have, have, had, have had a couple of hiccups. Who is going to emerge as the team that can challenge the Cubs or the Dodgers? Secondly, uh, are, how are the how are the uh, Cardinals going to do with all these kids? Where, can you go to the? Can you ride a great player, Matt Carpenter, and a bunch of kids to the postseason? And then that's going to be great fun to watch. Richard Justice, MLB dot com correspondent. Uh, follow him on Twitter at Richard Justice. Thank you so much for jumping on. I really appreciate it. Hopefully, I'll see you at the ballpark sometime soon. Hope so. Thanks. That's Richard Justice. This is the Paul at the Park podcast episode number 21. Thank you for listening. It's going to be a fun few weeks here. Cubs, plenty of storylines. Uh, White Sox, we'll see how they finish off. And uh, some good playoff races going on in the National League. They all seems kind of set. But uh, uh, I'm looking forward to this final stretch here, and I'm looking forward to playoff baseball, and I'm definitely looking forward to some football as well. So thank you for tuning in. Follow me at kpowell720 on Twitter. Please subscribe, review, and rate on iTunes. And you can listen anywhere you can find podcasts moving forward. Thanks for listening. Have a great day.